0: Hello, wonderful listeners, and welcome back to My Sister Made Me View It, books edition, covering The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Ah, it is cold outside, like near zero temperatures. Okay, near zero. It's only like 17 Fahrenheit outside, and that's quite cold, And I hope that if it's dark and cold, where you are as well, that you have a nice fuzzy blanket and a warm drink of your choice to cozy up to as you listen to Emily and I discuss this next chunk of the book. I hope 2021, right there at the very end, let you off easily. And as we roll into 2022, uh, Emily and I are sending you good wishes for the new year. So... Get that blanket, get that drink, and enjoy this episode of My Sister Made Me View It. Take it away, theme song. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Today, we are covering... The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson, chapters 37, 38, 39, and 40. Sides, Invisager, Burned Into Her, and Eyes of Blue and Red. Eyes of Red and Blue. In this week's reading, Kaladin and his dad go to dinner. Uh, Shallan considers philosophy... And in present day, Kaladin does some soul searching. Emily, at first brush, what did you think of these chapters? Um,
1: Remember, did we talk about last time how I felt like the story was coming at a much quicker pace than I thought? Where I was just like, I didn't think that she would steal the the soul caster so soon and that sort of thing. And so I felt like this was a brief respite because quote unquote nothing happens like the big action has been taken in the previous chapters and now the characters are kind of like taking it in and figuring out what to do next and which i i enjoyed because sometimes in order to move plot along you just make stuff happen and then like oh because of this this has to happen next and I liked the brief moment of like, okay, let's let's like look at the consequences of what we just did.
0: Mm-hmm. That this is a an introspective chapter for both Shallan and Kaladin. Sorry, sets of chapters mm-hmm. for both Shallan and Kaladin.
1: We learned what Kremlins look like and <laughs> I was really grossed out by it.
0: So, Evelyn, I need you to think back to and again, I'm not condoning animal abuse, but does this make the scene with non balat non Now I'm only saying it the weird way you said it. Does this make <laughs> our interlude scene with non balot less unsettling for you?
1: A little bit because they look like cockroaches. When okay, so when when they were like kremlins, I was thinking of something cute and small like the little coal bouncy things in Spirited Away. sprites. Such <laughs> sprites, just something like little and like adorable, and these look like silverfish.
0: Yep, they're everything's everything's crab-like. Um, it's gross.
1: And ew, I was just thinking of like what the antenna would feel like if it like brushed past your leg.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, they don't have a lot of cute and cuddly critters out here because they all need to be animals that can survive a high storm. We have an illustration to start these up. This will be, uh, it's an illustration of the gardens that Shalon will be in during her chapter. So this is a, another page out of, you know, Shalon's sketchbook. It looks
1: like, it looks like Ariel's underwater home from Little Mermaid.
0: Atlantica. Atlantica. Uh, where it's got this really cool illustration of shale bark. And some of the little critters that she sees. And and we'll we'll go more into her journey into naturalism studies. But first we have a flashback chapter about Kaladin and his family. And they're not doing too good right now.
1: They are not. Because as you guys recall, the new Bright Lord has heavily suggested that the people not pay Kaladin's dad for anything he does for them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so they have kind of been reduced to eating whatever they can grow which I don't know exactly where they're located but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of dirt with high storms and so life is very difficult at this moment
0: yeah and it's uh we open with is helping peel basically these really sticky kind of tubers for uh, for dinner that his mom's making stew out of. And they're having a conversation about Spren. Emily, what did you think? What did you learn about Spren?
1: That everything has Spren. Um, that even in the long route, like his mom is teaching them about um, kind of like the colors of the wind sort of a thing where like everything has a spirit, has a name. And, and as they they cut it up and Kaladin does that that thing that very um what's the word I'm looking for
0: teenage that roof. very
1: literal thing that oh. teenage boys do of like oh really really even dung has spren in it really and his younger brother thinks it's just hilarious and his mom's like listen
0: Tn has a very special rocky showing everyone uh <laughs> that the the light is different you know which which direction it hits from it but uh cal Finds a way to excuse himself from the conversations, and he's going to, oh, I, I should go wash these off, when what he's really doing is he knows his dad has accepted a dinner invitation from Bright Lord Roshone, and he's going to go with his dad to dinner.
1: Mm-hmm. His dad's like, it's not going to be a good thing. Yeah. Like, you really don't want to come. And Kaladin's like, if you don't want me, I'll go. But they go together in a very fancy like red velvet lined carriage and it is
0: though uh the uh the second best carriage it's not Rashon's fanciest he's sending like a really cruddy carriage to to bring them uh but for cal it's definitely the only and nicest one he's ever been in um this is a really good i think world building chapter they talk about how beautiful the grounds are um, at all the different kinds of rock buds, exotic plants, vines that Bright Lord Rashon has, has planted. And Kaladin kind of makes the observation that this Bright Lord is really beautifying only his space and like only his grounds and that he doesn't care much about the town at all. And you said
1: this was kind of about six months after Gavilar dies? Yeah. we We thought maybe. I'm interested in... Politically, what is going on? They don't really mention it. This is mostly a showdown between Liren and Rashon. But I'm just wondering, with the Vengeance Pact going on, Mm -hmm. uh, what Rashon's role is going to be in that. So,
0: this would have. Okay, I'm going to double check because I keep. I feel like I keep saying incorrect things about the timeline. But yeah, so if Kaladin is in the army. Five years after Gavilar died, Mm -hmm. and then eight months after that, he's on the Shattered Plains, then this would be about just two months after Gavilar had died.
1: I wonder if they even know about it yet, because no one has said anything about it.
0: There are span reads, though. That's true. But yeah, this means that in just a few months... Cal's gonna be fighting in the war. I don't like it. So, do you know what? I'm oh, gonna, I'm gonna look up. Uh, I'm gonna see if there's a timeline online.
1: Kaladin learned something really interesting here. He's he's talking to his dad about. Uh, his dad actually wasn't sure that he even wanted to go see Bright Lord Rasheen, even though it he needed to do something. And Kaladin's like, Well, of course you had to. What else are you gonna do? And Laren's like, We'd move. And Cal, that's just unthinkable. I mean. He's never been anywhere else. But suddenly the future is changing because his dad's like, we'd go to Karl-Bronth. Karl we'd go with you while you study to be a surgeon. And suddenly Kaladin's like, oh, if my family came, that wouldn't be so bad because his whole life is about to change because he was going to go off and be a surgeon by himself, you know, in this big city. And to have his family there. And he really loves his family. Like they're very, they've had to grow closer during this Very difficult time.
0: I've got a timeline. Rashon would have come out here just a few months after Gavilar had died. So, um, yep, there we go.
1: So, as they're driving up to the, to the, not the palace, but the Bright Lord's mansion, um, Laren is very impressed with Kaladin's reasoning and everything. And he's like, wow, when did you grow up? And Kaladin says, well, he doesn't say it, but he thinks he's like, the night we almost got robbed. Like, that really changed his world viewpoint, and I think he really, he became, not a man, but he, he grew up that night, and <laughs> we find out uh, the Bright Lord doesn't have the sort of uh, grasp on the city that he thinks he does, because mm-hmm. the really the only way Kaladin's family has been able to not starve is people leave food out for them secretly, and his dad's like, how do you think that we've, like, been eating for the last four months? And the people are afraid of the Bright Lord, but they also don't want one of their own to die Mm -hmm. through their own selfishness and cowardice. This whole chapter is this very delicate power dance where there are just so many subtle insults that are being thrown out there, like the second best carriage. And um, when they go in to eat, there are multiple tables set up, which means Lyran won't be dining at the same table as Lord Roshon, But he calls him out on it. Like he does not beat around the bush. He's just like, listen, he says, surely you follow the precepts of rank closely enough to give me a place at your table. And, and, you know, Bright Lord's like, mm, yes, please join me.
0: <laughs> and Kaladin is like, we're gonna stick it to him. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna stand up for what's right. And we're gonna just show that guy who's boss. And Kaladin makes a fool of himself at dinner. Like, the food's too spicy for him. Uh, he keeps, like, doing these little outbursts when, you know, Roshone says something that, like, oh, your family must be quite destitute by now. And Kaladin's like, we get along just fine! And he, like, <laughs> leaps to his feet. And Liren finally, like, sends Kaladin out of the room and sends him down <laughs> to the kitchens to find a meal more suited to his tastes. And it just... Uh, so Cal's like 15 years old at this time and I can just imagine just how humiliating that would be is like you feel like you're one of the grownups and you you feel like you finally get to be part of you know something big and then he just gets sent out of the room like a, like a little kid and so down in the kitchens they, they know him because he used to be really close friends with Laurel. Emily I would like to personally apologize to you because in between episodes, you said, hey, can you make sure you know how the characters' names are pronounced? And in my head, I'm like, I know how to say all the characters' names. Yasna, Adolin, Shalant. And then I realized you're talking about who <laughs> I keep swapping <laughs> back and forth of how to say it. Let's just call her Laurel. Larrell and Riller, who's Rashawn's son, they come in and Rashawn is like, he mean girls, Kaladin. Riller. What did I say? Rashawn. He's Rashawn's son. Yes. Riller.
1: You said that and then oh. you said Larrell and Rashawn.
0: <sighs> this is what happens. I love recording podcasts and I'm always like, let's record eight in a row. And then my brain's out. But, uh, he tries to stand up to Riller the way his dad stood up to Rashon. Where Riller is like, oh, go get me food. And Kaladin's like, no, I'm not a servant. And it's like, oh, do you have a problem with servants? Do you think they're lesser than you? And Kaladin's like, no, it's just, it's not my calling to fetch you food. I'm going to be a surgeon. And Riller's like, uh Kaladin's like, get your own food. And Riller's like, mm mm-hmm. that's not my calling to get myself food. I'm going to be a leader. <laughs> anyway. We hate this guy. Hate this guy. And Leryl, she doesn't stand up for Cal. And she kind of brushes him off too and like treats him like some sort of serving boy she's never spoken to before in her life. It's Mm -hmm. very sad.
1: Yeah. And as I was reading this because my initial hope was, oh, she's protecting him by pretending. But then I'm like, she's also 13. She cannot be that savvy at this point in her life. Mm -hmm. So I... I don't know. They were so happy together, and she clearly wanted to be together, but I don't know if someone has, like, sat her down and explained, like, this is the way your life is going to be, or if she's just trying. I don't know. I don't know. I just feel bad. I just feel bad for anyone who's in a situation that they have no control over that they were not expecting to ever have to deal with.
0: Mm -hmm. And so when this is all done, and Kaladin is also... He thinks his dad is cutting a deal with Roshone right now. That they're just haggling over however many spheres his dad's going to hand over. And so he, like, really is just feeling like they've lost the day all around.
1: That his dad's a coward and... Rashon is not an honorable light eyes and oh yeah,
0: that yeah, the real light eyes, the real honorable ones are somewhere else. Uh and, and he gets given a child's meal. <laughs> he's sitting with his happy meal at the table. His chicken nuggets. <laughs> Just kidding. He doesn't eat chicken nuggets. He eats. Em, do you remember what the what the kids' food is?
1: I'm looking. Isn't it like sweet? Mm-hmm. No, it just says the serving boy brought him his food. Uh,
0: it's flatbread and fruited rice.
1: And Kaladin is mad because it's a kid's meal. And so he doesn't eat it. And later his dad is like, you should have eaten it. It was free.
0: Something about Leryl, uh, She has dyed her hair. It used to be oh, that's black, right. black with streaks of blonde in it. And she's dyed it so it's a solid black.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that's her own choice or if... She's being used as a pawn, and this is how you do, and I don't know. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Cal's dad shows up and is like, we're leaving. And Kaladin doesn't want to know how many spears he gave up. He's he's dreading the answer, and Liren is just like, I pretended to get upset, and I left. This wasn't really about that. This was us trying to get the, you know, the the lay of the land almost. Kaladin is assured that his dad is not going to give up the spears because Rashon is not going to be happy unless he has all of them. And that will just give up Kaladin's future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Kaladin uses some grown-up detective reasoning and realizes his dad did steal them. <laughs> Did did, Did I not call that? You did. Did Uh, I not call it? I hoped I was wrong. Listen, guys. Stealing is wrong. Stealing is wrong. But I totally get why Lyran did this. Because there was no way that they were going to be able to... There was an understanding that Kaladin and and Laryl were going to be married. And with this new Bright Lord, that future went out the window. And so Lyran has told himself basically this is what he would have wanted anyway the the old bright lord and so that's what he's been telling himself like he would he would have done this i'm not really stealing it cuz it would have eventually happened like this and oh, it's just an interesting situation for this man
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and as they are headed back caladin confirms to his dad he does want to go to Calabron to become a surgeon. He's made that decision. He doesn't want to run away and join the army anymore. And he wants to be called by his full name. He's been going by his nickname, Cal, because he feels that Caladin is kind of a, you know, it's it's more of a light-eyes name. It's it's different than what all of his friends go by and everything. And, yeah, his dad agrees. Is it pretentious? <laughs> it's pretentious, Steven. <laughs> um, and, yeah. uh... This is a real maturity turning point for Kaladin. Like, he feels a lot less like the little kid that we used to know. And he tells his dad that he wants to learn how to talk to light eyes the way his dad does. Because he's become so impressed by how his dad can read people and react to them. And Kaladin's like, if I'm going to be successful, I need to know how to do that too. Mm -hmm. So
1: Kaladin has plans for his future, Mm-hmm. Which is real sad because we know that's not what happens. <laughs> we don't know
0: that. There may be two boys who are both called Galladin, and we just. Okay. <laughs> I'll take it. One of them's sad about a boy named Tien, but the other one has a great time. Nothing could go wrong. Nothing could go wrong. Uh, In the present, we're moving on to chapter 38 Invisager. Oh, wait. I am going to read you a little bit of the header in front of Invisager. Born from the darkness, they bear its taint still, marked upon their bodies, much as the fire marks their souls. I consider Garshash's son Navamius a trustworthy source, though I'm not certain about this translation. Find the original quote in the 14th book of Seld and retranslate it myself, perhaps?
1: So I think it's Yasna. Mm-hmm.
0: I think this is Yasna
1: doing research. That is my guess. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> kaladin is not doing great Mm-mm. he is seeing death spren
1: yeah he did survive the high storm but he is he's basically ticking off all of his injuries and is not very lucid at this point
0: um he sees these death spren closing in and he sees Syl trying to fight them off oh that's right that's right She's like this blazing light
1: in the darkness.
0: Mm -hmm. We cut to Teft's point of view. Teft seems to know something about what's going up with Kaladin. He gets the idea to uh, bring some glowing stormlight spheres to him and... Uh, he makes sure that like everyone else is out of the room and then he puts a single glowing sphere on top of Kaladin and he sees Kaladin inhale the storm light and Cal starts to steam with light. Hey, Emily. Yes, Megan. Where have we seen someone do this before? Seth. Yeah. Yes.
1: <gasps> is Seth a
0: relative of Kaladin? Uh, so, Seth is from Shinovar, Kaladin's from Alathkar. they were born but on opposite mom, sides of the world.
1: His mom is a transplant, we don't know anything about his grandparents. <gasps> what if Seth is his uncle, and that's why you never hear, wait, I'm getting confused about the family tree. Seth doesn't want his dad to be spoken of, because Vol- Seth is a disappointment to his dad, but it's fine that he's a disappointment to his
0: grandfather. Um, so your, your current theory is kind of built around a Skywalker-esque line of people who can do magic. Yes. Okay. We'll see. We'll see if that's how magic is passed around. Uh, please write down in your predictions that Seth is Kaladin's uncle.
1: Okay. Uncle. This is on four, nine, Okay. Um, I was wondering why does Teft do this because he he doesn't share with the class everything mm-hmm. that's going on in his mind but he comes up to Kaladin and he's like why now why here after so many have watched and waited you come here is it just because Kaladin's not dying did he notice anything about the the um, spheres getting sucked out of stormlight before this or was he just like Hoping against hope that, that this will work.
0: He mentions something about the Invisagers. Uh, mm-hmm. And he'd rejected them. Yeah, the Invisagers were gone, dead because of what he had done. Ooh. Wonder, I wonder who the Invisagers are. I do, too. Who or what? Mm-hmm. Hmm. But
1: yeah, he puts the spheres on Caledon, like he puts the spheres on kaladin and yeah he kaladin sucks the stormlight into himself and his cuts like heal up it it's like a power boost mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he found a med pack in a video game <laughs> it's uh
0: it's, it's a healing stem <laughs> man i wonder if we'll ever find anything else out more about teff's backstory uh, they just give you little bits and pieces and then i forget what happens it's <laughs> all right you're like well, will remember this i'm like no i'll be i'll be there to remind you i'll be by your side every step of the way always something there to remind me hey you can't sing copyrighted <laughs> stuff on our stream <laughs> only you can <laughs> uh, so that was that was a pretty quick chapter um now mm-hmm. we're moving up for it to... being
1: a big reveal chapter it's very very brief
0: mm-hmm. uh, which is unfair now it's time for some more Shalon, we are being so efficient this episode we just talked for like two and a half hours about the haunting of hill house and <laughs> like you said there's not there's not a ton a ton of action in these chapters we're kind of just Getting uh, one or two pieces of, of world building because you know, we did have a few really big scenes recently, so this mm-hmm. is this is fun. But uh, Siobhan is kind of freaking out, uh, having just watched four men get murdered in front of her, <laughs> doesn't seem like she's ever experienced something like this before, not really. Uh, and she is sitting in her room. With just a single red light drawing. And uh, Emily, tell us about about her artwork. So we know that she has an
1: incredible memory. And she like takes a picture with her mind when she's going to do a sketch. But she didn't do that during her time with Yasna because it all happened so quickly. But she's like, even though she didn't do that, everything is just burned into her brain. She cannot forget this and she's just like drawing stuff over and over and over and like that is very common after a traumatic thing is it goes through your brain over and over and over and you've got to somehow break the cycle because if you don't things are just bad
0: not great not good at all my friend um not good
1: and she is oh really quick really quick um she's having a hard time but she's still thinking about, she's like, well, logically, Yasna's, like, logic did not condemn Yasna. Yes, the princess had taken them into danger, you know, and stuff like that. But, like, the men were the ones who, like, brought it, not brought it on themselves, but, like, she's, she's still trying to pin down how she feels about it.
0: And she's going through all of these different philosophies and moral systems and things that she's learned and she's comparing all of these different uh belief systems and thought systems trying to narrow down is what yasna did right or wrong
1: Mm -hmm. but as she's doing all of these things remember she stole the soul caster switched it out and we find out that the stealing of the soul caster um bothered her as much as the killings that yasna had done Mm -hmm. and i was just like
0: whoa those are two very different things, but hey, uh, there's a complex feelings. There's a moment where she starts drawing something that's not what happened in the alleyway. Oh, wait. I don't remember that part. It's uh top of 696.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. Um okay, I'm going to read this little bit just because She's drawing something, but it's not what happened in the alleyway. Uh, There's a very lavishly decorated room, swords on the walls, dining table with a half-eaten meal, and a dead man in fine clothing lying face first on the floor, blood pooling around him. And so this has happened before where she has drawn things that aren't really there. And this is really freaking her out because something, she's just like, ooh, something's wrong and she wants to get out and get away and just leave this all behind but I okay this is me going off on crazy crazy town tangents Mm -hmm. um I feel like drawing is her calling but I feel like someone is using her as a medium to get a message across like they're either on another plane of existence or she somehow tapped into something and they want her to draw these things and they're trying to give her clues and hints but not in a very helpful way.
0: Ah. Huh. Hmm. Going along with that theory of yours, there is a character we haven't seen for a while that also is getting messages from someone in an unclear way. Do you think this Dalinar. could be... Do you think this could be connected at all with what Dalinar's going you, through? You know what? I think it'd be great because it would give him
1: and his future daughter-in-law something oh, to bond yeah. over. <laughs>
0: Right, because uh, you ship uh, Adeline and Shalon, mm-hmm. who are hundreds and hundreds of miles apart. But to you know what uh, they're pulled together by destiny. <laughs> that's no, that's no barrier for love.
1: <laughs> Don't know this person even exists.
0: Not a big deal. Um, thankfully, her little downward spiral is interrupted uh, because one of her span reads is flashing.
1: Yes, and the the maid has brought it to her, which I thought that, like, it had to be at a fixed point. But I guess you can take your span read anywhere and use it anywhere. I thought it had to be in, like, a very specific place that was, like, connected.
0: So it needs to be in a specific place to write. So so pretty much it's, okay. it's got a notification flashing that someone wants to talk to her. It mm-hmm. has to be affixed in a specific place in order to actually write. Uh, This is more like her phone is ringing, but she can't answer it unless it's plugged into the writing desk that that she has.
1: Got it. And it is her brother. And um, the very first thing he asks her is in code. Everyone is very careful about like making sure. I mean, that's a good thing because they're trying to, you know, steal Soulcaster from the basically the second in line to the throne, you know.
0: Uh, no, Yasna's older, uh, but Elokar gets the throne because it passes from father to son.
1: Well, uh, that makes sense.
0: I, uh, I don't know why I'm so disappointed about that. <laughs> or, do you know what? Do you know what? We don't know that. It hasn't been stated in this book. I mean, it's possible that Yasna was in line for the throne and turned it down. We don't know. That's true. That's true. I feel like
1: that is the more likely scenario because she is more interested in pure truth and knowledge rather than like taking care of other people's problems. hmm mm-hmm. When I say taking care of other people's problems, I'm just like envisioning like her sitting on the throne and people coming to her with their complaints. And she's like, I'd rather be at the library. <laughs> They're being very careful, Shalon and her brother, uh, making sure that no one is listening or no one's around. And she tells him, hey, guess what? I have the thing. And he is just so relieved. And he's like, great, when are you going to get here? And she's like, uh, haven't left yet. And she is, she's getting herself, she's really dug herself into a hole because on the one hand, if she just leaves and then Yasna suddenly finds out, hey, my soul caster doesn't work. Hmm. Interesting. My ward left with no warning. I feel like Yasna would just immediately be like, yeah, we're going to go after her and get her. But she's staying here, and the longer she stays, the more likely it is that she'll be there when Yasna discovers the theft. And so I think Shalon is hoping that she'll be able to guide Yasna to another um, suspect mm-hmm. if she's there. Oh, earlier um, it talked about where she keeps the Soulcaster, which I believe is in her... Safe pouch.
0: She had it in a secret compartment in her trunk and she decides to keep it in her safe pouch instead.
1: Yeah, because asking a woman to open up her safe pouch, she says, it's basically the equivalent of strip searching her because she's such a high-ranking noble mm-hmm. that for now the safest place is on her person, which kind of flies in in every bit of logic but i see in this culture that that is the smartest place to have it because no one's going to look there even though it's on her person and her her brother is like well i guess that makes sense but please hurry home because things are getting bad here and these people want their fabriel back and so <laughs> porcelain is just kind of left with like oh, okay i'll do my best so and although i love this part because like I said, she's so disgusted with herself that she has stolen this. It's kind of on par with how she feels about the murders that she wouldn't be able to keep a straight face. And if anyone wonders what's wrong, she can just blame it on being witness to four murders rather <laughs> yeah. than,
0: oh, I feel guilty for stealing the princess's soul caster. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just sitting here smiling and nodding like, a, like a happy fool being like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So to calm down, she heads out into the garden to draw.
1: yes. And she makes some observation about the... There's, there's life spread out there. There are Kremlings. She notices... She just notices things about the world. She's very curious. She's interacting with like the flora and the fauna.
0: She's fascinated by this symbiotic relationship between the snails and the shale bark and then even smaller creatures that are on the back of the snails as well. And she mentions how a lot of naturalists at the time... Are really drawn to the big flashy fancy creatures for their studies like the white spines and the great shells and things like that and that she can't recall ever seeing a really detailed study done of smaller creatures within an ecosystem like this so she has some she has some interest in that it's like hobbits they they uh, shaped the fate of the world and they're just
1: so tiny and no one really noticed them oh so as she's also doing this, she's like, this is also the perfect opportunity for me to practice with the Fabriel because it's no good if they just take it back to, if she takes it back home and no one knows how to use it because the old steward has died, the one that knew how to use it. Oops. <laughs> so I got a very Toby Maguire Spider-Man vibe from this where like he's trying to learn how to like web sling the first time. Go, he's my like, go. Go, web, go. Fly. She's like... Become smoke,
0: become crystal, burn your fire, <laughs> and uh, it didn't work. Shout out to you know who you are, fans of the stick. <laughs> I don't like it because I don't get it. I know. Don't worry about it. You will someday, and you'll <laughs> love it. <laughs> okay. So uh, she is unsuccessful. She's trying to think if maybe she could ask Capsule without, like, raising suspicion. But then she's like, oh, my gosh, she would want it. And I I can't just give this Soulcaster to the Ardentia. Um, maybe I could take this to the king. Uh, as long as Yasna didn't know exactly who stole it, like, we'd be safe. And, and so she is facing yet another difficult decision. Well, then, she thought, it's a good thing Yasna is so determined to train me in how to deal with those. By the time all this is done... I should be quite the expert. Now we are moving on to another chapter, Eyes of Red and Blue. Uh, It's a Kaladin chapter, and I wanna take a minute before we start this to talk about an aspect of Kaladin's character we haven't really delved into yet. One of the things I really love about this character and how Brandon approached them is Kaladin is, neurodivergent, he has chronic depression in a world that doesn't understand what that means. He has, like, clinical chronic depression. Clearly, he's not going to therapy for it, uh, because our, like, our world's understanding of, like, therapy and dealing with mental illness and stuff, they've got no context for this, like, in this world. And so there are times where it's not that he's just moody, or he's just... (laughs) to quote The Office, isn't that a fancy word for being bummed out? No, the actual hormonal chemistry of his brain is sending his mood into a nosedive and he like can't pull himself out of it. So even though something really miraculous is happening for Kaladin in this chapter, he is being beset by this really deep depression. And I think this is probably one of the places where we've seen it the most clearly. The earlier chapter when he's approaching the honor chasm that like, I feel also touches on this a bit. But in that chapter, it sort of feels a little bit more situational, the the stuff that he's dealing with. And that's not an aspect that usually gets assigned to your heroes or your protagonists. And I really appreciate this. Emily, what did you, what did you think of this chapter, Eyes of Red and Blue? Um, they're, okay.
1: Because we talked about this a little bit, even though you told me to save it for the podcast. So I'm I'm trying to remember everything we talked about. Save
0: it for the podcast.
1: (laughs) He is alive.
0: Yes, he is. Which is
1: surprising to everyone involved.
0: Especially Kaladin. It's only been 10 days. And he's like, no, 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 no. Because he knows exactly
1: how how badly he was injured. He, like I said, cataloged all of his injuries. He shouldn't have been healing so fast. And my immediate paranoid thought was, Sadius is going to come here, think that they cheated somehow because he's doing so well and d- decide that... Kaladin actually didn't go out in the high storm.
0: But he did. He did. And so I'm pre, pre-worried about this. Um, I don't think Sadius knows as much about medical dates and expectations as Kaladin would. So maybe that would work in his favor. <laughs> Makes me feel a little better. But like, it's it, you're just not expected to survive. I think though. I think there were guards that saw the bridgeman. Okay. Wait until after. I'm going to I'm going to rewind back to check for you so I can assure some of your fears. ardents. Okay, the storm. Okay, his eyes snap open. There are soldiers nearby and they approach when Rock starts yelling, but they didn't stop the bridgeman. Sadius himself had declared the Storm Father would choose Kaladin's fate. Okay.
1: So yep. That makes me feel only marginally better. I mean I
0: just know some <laughs> I'm sure Sadius isn't happy about it.
1: <laughs> because here's here's the thing. Going back to Kaladin's depression issues where he survived, and I'm just like, oh, he's gotta be so ecstatic that he survived. But you know what, guys? Sometimes you just don't know what triggers your depression. (laughs) And for Kaladin, he's realizing how impossible this situation really is. And he's slowly beginning to believe that he will not be able to protect his men who have banded together, become a band of brothers. Everything is going sort of well for a bridge crew. Like, they're practicing. They're still eating Mm -hmm. together every night. Like, Kaladin has a legacy but all he can think about is how what? this can't last. Yes, I, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> that um, he'll never be able to keep it going. And to him, that is just unbearable. And he, he, he may not understand what's happening. Because like at the end, he, he realizes, he says, I'm falling back to the wretch I was. I'm losing my grip on this, on myself. And it's so sad because depression makes you miss out on what's going on around you. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, your brain is telling you one thing and it's really sucky.
0: It's lying to you.
1: It's lying to you. And so, like, I, I didn't quite realize what was going on in this chapter at first because I'm just like, you're alive. You should be so excited and be so happy. But he has some real fears of what's going to happen. And so by the end, I, I just kind of went, oh, that's what's happening because it just happened.
0: Mm-hmm. So he's he's having a hard time at dinner. Uh, mm-hmm. When the bridgemen first see him, they're practicing running the bridge when he comes out of the barracks. And Moash is in front and Moash sees him first and he freezes. And the whole bridge almost like everyone crashes after that. I was reading this allowed to you and you were mad at moash i was he's such a Emily. he was so excited to see Kaladin alive they're all so happy
1: i know but i feel like moash's is more out of guilt than anything
0: else he didn't believe in him hard enough before megan is to steve as emily is to moash (laughs) for hill house listeners you'll get that one um, and I'll tell you guys too, I don't like Steve from Watching a House. <laughs> it's not a secret. And, uh, they are going on a bridge run and they're like, and Kaladin's like, I'll help. And they're like, absolutely not. Like, what would you say if it was one of us who's just been in bed with fevers for a week and a half? And he's like, okay, I'll help, I'll help Lopen carry the water. And he's, this time he's watching the battle. He's really like paying attention because something he can't get out of his mind is what Laramar said about how bridgemen aren't supposed to survive. And we know from a conversation that, a really cold conversation that Dalinar and Sadius had way back in part two, that, oh yeah, the bridgemen are bait, but now Kaladin is putting the pieces together and realizing it's expensive to equip and train soldiers. And any arrow that kills a bridgeman spares a soldier. And Kaladin realizes that, oh my gosh, we're all going to die. Like, it's literally only a matter of time. They will keep killing us in order to spare the more important people because the Parshendi haven't figured out that there are different values assigned to the different members of the army. Mm -hmm. that's why sadius always brings more bridges than he needs that's why there's like so many bridgemen and that's why the bridgemen are left so exposed and then there was something else that is interesting where cal that caladin observes while they are fighting and it is the tactics of how the alethi fight versus how the parshendi fight emily do you like recall it like quick blush what the difference between alendi fighting a parshendi fighting is like if you don't it's okay i'll read it to you no i i don't yeah read it to me all right the alethi maintain a straight disciplined line you know like you would have soldiers lined up and you both fight and protect the men around you the parshendi all attack in independent pairs So the Alethi have the superior technique and tactics, but each of the Parshendi is superior in strength, and their skill with, like, the axes is formidable. And so once the Alethi have a strong foothold, they usually have a victory. So the Parshendi Mm. have the advantage in the terrain because they don't need bridges. They can jump from plateau to plateau, and they're a lot more mobile because they fight in these pairs. Got it. So... Uh, And so Kaladin concludes from this that the Parshendis haven't fought in a large scale battle before this war, that they're used to smaller skirmishes, perhaps against other villages or clans. So Kaladin's putting some pieces together. (laughs) There is a bridge crew dinner scene that follows. That's just wonderful. Emily, what happens at dinner that night? I loved it. I loved it so much
1: but I was also very confused so just here we go um the men have all banded together and they've brought the rock not the rock they've brought rock a gift because he is the one who cooks every night and basically like provides for all of them and so they've bought him a razor so he can shave
0: because he complains about his beard all the time And also a mirror, soap, and a leather strap to sharpen it. And Rock just, like, gets up and he's like, the food is ready. And he just leaves. And everyone's like, did we, like, make a mistake? Uh, And they apologize for not getting cowed and everything. Because they're like, we did not think you would wake up. (laughs) And
1: I didn't realize he was a ginger. (laughs) I was literally picturing Dwayne the Rock Johnson as this character the whole time. Just
0: picture Dwayne the Rock Johnson with red hair. So weird. Anyways it's just they have truly
1: become this group of friends and I think that's one of the things that really hits Kaladin is because he's come to all of these realizations today while he's still recovering and susceptible to all sorts of you know brain lies that this sort of beautiful thing can't Continue forever because everyone's going to be gone soon.
0: Mm-hmm. Everybody, like, jumps up to get food. Kaladin starts talking to one of the other bridgemen, Sigzil. Mm-hmm.
1: Sigzil was the one who kind of pointed out some strategies on the battlefield earlier that day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Kaladin's kind of picking up that that Sigzil is an educated man.
0: Mm-hmm. And Sigzil, uh, they have this interesting conversation that's got a little bit of a language barrier to it because uh Sigsel, you know is talking to Kaladin is like yeah the men think that you're a light eyes and Kaladin's like my eyes are dark and Sigil's like okay uh I got this wrong they think that you're noble I mean in other in other countries and other nations there's a different word for it it's not based on eye color and Kaladin's like well that's just weird Uh, So I've been re-listening to our early episodes today because Emily's getting them edited and they sound awesome. And when you first learned about the caste system, about the light eyes and the dark eyes, you were like, one, that's absolutely unfair. And two, you were interested to know, is this true for the whole world or just where Kaladin's from? And I can tell you now, it's just from the the region of the world where Kaladin is from that apparently there are other civilizations out there. That uh, their social hierarchy is not based on eye color. So Kaladin talks more
1: with Sigzil, and they both have come to the understanding that these people will die. And Sigzil starts talking about someone called the Marabethians. Mara Marabethians?
0: Yeah. Marabeth- yeah.
1: So this is where the title of the chapter comes in: Eyes of Red and Blue. Because these condemned criminals are told, hey, if you survive for one week in the water and don't get eaten, you're going to be free to go. And Sigil says, everyone does it. Everyone accepts that challenge, even though they they last no longer than a day. It's because they need that hope. Um, I don't know why why they started talking about it. Um. Oh, it- here. Sorry, I got it. Sigil is just like, listen, you do a good work. At first, I hated you for lying to the men, but I have come to see that false hope makes them happy. What you do is like giving medicine to a sick man to ease his pain until he dies. Now these men can spend their last days in laughter. You are a healer indeed, Kaladin
0: Stormblessed.
1: And that's the first time he gets called Stormblessed. Right?
0: Actually, it's not. Ooh. Oh. His... Old spear squad. At the very beginning, when we meet Sen and we meet Dalit, they call him Kaladin Stormblessed there as well. <gasps> oh, has he already been out in a high storm? How on earth did that name carry on? Huh? I wonder. I mean, that—that that, that, is that a coincidence? A dink?
1: Probably. I bet. I bet Brandon just didn't notice it.
0: Elder Stormblessed. Um, so real quick thing about Sigzel. I want you to put a pin in Sigzel's backstory and I want you to write a question in your notebook. All right. Who was Sigzel's master? Oh, that's right. Mm
1: -hmm. Because he gives a few little tidbits about himself Mm -hmm. and Kaladin's like, oh, did you kill your master? And he's like, nope. (laughs) What exactly happens there? Hold on. I didn't do a very good job at that.
0: Okay, it's, uh, they, they mentioned it about halfway through page 718. Ooh, Can you believe we're all the way on page 718?
1: No, it's crazy. So Kaladin's like, are you a murderer? And he's like, well, the guy's not dead. And Kaladin was like, was it your master? And he's like, nope. And that's really all that he says that's, about it. Yeah, He won't go into any more detail. But yeah, that's that's the chapter is Kaladin realizing the precipice he's on leads nowhere but down.
0: And this brings us to the end of this week's reading with uh, Kaladin saying, I'm falling back to the wretch I was. I'm losing my grip on this on myself. He couldn't carry the hopes of all the bridgemen. He just wasn't strong enough. Not a very high scoring afternoon on Kaladin's good day, bad day sliding scale. Nope. And Emily, I'm going to give you the chapter titles for next week. We're going to be re. Uh, <laughs> I want. I want us to read farther than we've ever read before. I shouldn't. No. But this was like this was like a shorter episode. How do you feel about reading? 80 pages instead of no 50.
1: no i love this <laughs> no! book but i i want to talk about quality not quantity
0: so good. okay then we'll read we'll read just 50 pages like peasants <laughs> fine all right next week's reading we're going to be covering chapters 41 42 Wait, what are the names? I will get to that after oh, I say the numbers. Okay. So okay. 41, 42, 43, and 44 of Alds and Milp, and that's spelled A-L-D-S and M-I-L-P, Beggars and Barmaids, The Wretch, and The Weeping. Uh, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Sorry okay guys
1: emily i want to live read you these okay but not tonight
0: oh no why not tonight it's only 10 o'clock
1: it's 10 o'clock and i got my vaccine yesterday and it's wiped me out but i'm really tired but tomorrow
0: i can't tomorrow i'm recording other (laughs) podcasts
1: sunday maybe I will not read them until you read them to me. Listen, How's that?
0: Uh, I just want to read you The Weeping.
1: Okay. I will read it up until then, and then you can read it to me.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I love you.
1: But until then, until then, what are we doing? Ah,
0: <sighs> I have to get back to storyboarding. <gasps> and I'm going to get back to writing my book. Well, yes, you are, because I believe in you. Guess what? I believe in
1: you, too. Ready, break.
0: <laughs> break. Oh, man, you're going to have to deamplify that a lot. <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> <sighs> oh, thus endeth another episode. A huge thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm, in our intro and outro. Thank you so much for listening to our Way of Kings episode. Tune in next week, Thursday, January 13th, for our next Roswell episode, and then we'll be back the Thursday after that, January 20th, with another Way of Kings. I hope this first month of 2022 is better than the first month of 2021. And do you know what? You'll make it better. You want to know why? Because I believe in you.